And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday the 8th of November. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... Who has made the Champions League knockout stages with two games to spare? Guardiola's been saying how important it is to qualify for the last 16 as early as possible. Why do Atletico Madrid fans have more than six reasons to smile? The team are playing much better. Simeone himself has kind of evolved. And can Rasmus Hoyland find his feet at Manchester United? People have to be patient with him. He will score goals. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. Tuesday was a cracking night of Champions League action. Let's take you through it. We're halfway through match day four and we already know two of the teams in this season's knockout stages. The defending champions, Manchester City, breezed past young boys at the Etihad, as expected. Kovacic told to get out of the way and that's why! What a hit from Erling Haaland! Erling Haaland's brace and Phil Foden's stylish goal earned a 3-0 win and made it 12 points from 12 at the top of Group G. Our City correspondent Sam Lee was at the Etihad. Sam, now that City have qualified, how will Pep Guardiola treat their two remaining group games? Yeah, in the past couple of press conferences, Guardiola's been saying how important it is to qualify for the last 16 as early as possible to not leave it any later. But obviously City haven't actually guaranteed top spot. They've still got to play Leipzig. If they get at least a point in that, then they will have done it then. So in terms of how they're going to treat the next two games, to be honest, Guardiola will play a strong team, even if it was what we would consider a dead rubber. But given they've got to get a point against Leipzig to seal top spot, it'll probably be a very similar team to what it was on the night against Young Boys, probably with Rodri in it, so to make it even stronger, something along those lines. And then, to be honest, even if they get the job done and the last game is a real dead rubber, City have still got enough top players who probably won't play the weekend before the game in Belgrade. The interesting thing, obviously, is City then have one more Premier League game and then the Club World Cup. So maybe Guardiola makes loads of changes, but generally he doesn't. But anyway, they've actually still got one more game left against RB Leipzig to properly get the job done and then they can start thinking about stuff after that. Thanks, Sam. RB Leipzig have also qualified from Group G after they won 2-1 at Svena Zvezda. Atletico Madrid moved to the top of Group E. Dino having just come off the bench. Oh, what a goal! Wow, what an introduction to the match! After they thrashed Celtic 6-0, Dermot Corrigan was in the Spanish capital for the Athletic. Dermot, there was a real swagger from Atleti tonight. How good is this version of Diego Simeone's side? Bit of a party for Atletico tonight. Steamrolled Celtic, really helped by the early red card, but we're, we're much the better team. And everything is just kind of rolling for Atletico at the minute. 16 home wins in a row, going all the way back to, to last February. They're top of the group. Going okay in the Liga, they slipped up at the weekend, but they're in the Liga title race. So after last season didn't go well for them at all, there was talk of Simeone being in trouble. Joe Felix situation had to be sorted. Just a bad feeling around the club. But 12 months later, everybody's bouncing again. Everybody's happy, and it's, it's good times for Atletico. 
and some fantastic goals as well. Uh, and there's perhaps some even better news on the way soon too. Yeah, uh, story coming up on the Athletic soon about Simeone's contract. Again, like 12 months ago, it looked like maybe his decade or so at the club was coming to an end. He wasn't getting on so well with the, the club hierarchy, the, the rise over Joe Felix. Griezmann's contract as well was just a weird one last season. But it's all turned around again. Everybody's kind of gone onto the same page. The team are playing much better. Simeone himself has kind of evolved. You know, this play better football that, than they used to. It's not the same kind of grinded out. So it looks like down to the last negotiations on the contract, whether it be two years, three years, the type of bonuses that, that are involved. But good chance that during the international break, he's going to sign up until 2026 or 2027. Thanks, Dermot. It's now Lazio in second after their home win over Feyenoord. Chiro Immobile scoring the game's only goal and his 200th for the club. Clip forward over the top. The run of Immobile round the goalkeeper. And it's a milestone goal. And one of supreme significance. Someone else who scored a notable goal was the indefatigable Pepe. Conceição's delivery and Porto do have a second goal. And would you believe it, it's the veteran that's got it. Yes, the Portugal defender became the first player in their 40s to score in the Champions League. He scored the second as Porto beat Antwerp in Portugal. They are now level on points at the top of Group H with Barcelona who suffered a surprise 1-0 defeat at the hands of Shakhtar Donetsk in Hamburg. And then there was the Group of F, which is living up to its billing. AC Milan improved their position with a 2-1 home win over PSG, scoring their first goals in this season's competition. Teo Hernandez back into the middle, brilliant cross, brilliant header, Olivier Giroud, Milan lead, Paris Saint-Germain 2-1. Borussia Dortmund bounced back from their derby thrashing at home to Bayern Munich on Saturday, by beating Newcastle 2-0. That completed a double for the Germans over their English rivals. Chris Woff covers Newcastle for The Athletic and was in Dortmund. Chris, what went wrong for Newcastle? The key moments in the match, really, similar to the Dortmund match at St. James's Park a few weeks ago, that didn't start particularly well, fell behind, and that really woke them up and they improved from that moment. But they had two key issues in the second half. Joe Linton has a header when Newcastle gaining momentum, point-blank header from close range, and, and he puts it wide. And then when Newcastle have an attacking free kick, the free kick's poor, goes to the front post, and Newcastle just don't react. Dortmund counter-attack, have a two-on-one, and, and the second goal goes in, and that kills the game with 11 minutes to go. So the key moments are what's letting them down. They haven't scored an away goal in the Champions League yet this season, and that really is becoming a key issue. That's both games against Dortmund that have ended in defeat. It was always going to be a difficult group for them. But the result in Italy probably does Newcastle a favour going forwards and and keeps themselves alive in the group. Yeah, in a perverse way, Newcastle falling from third to fourth, given that Milan have won and moved on to five points and Newcastle are on fours, has actually helped them because in the Champions League, unlike in the Premier League, it, it isn't just about goal difference. And so Newcastle's key issue is with Dortmund, they are three points behind Dortmund, but if they finish level with Dortmund, they would be behind them in the group because Dortmund have a better head-to-head record. Milan, Newcastle drew away in Milan, so if they get a positive result at home against Milan, they could finish above them head-to-head. PSG, they've already beaten at home, so similar, if they go to Paris and draw and then have the same number of points as PSG, they could finish ahead of them on head-to-head. There's three points that separates. This was called the so-called group of death at the start of the Champions League. It's very much looking that way. Everyone is taking points off each other, and although Newcastle 
Newcastle are in a difficult position now. It looks better after Milan's victory over PSG than it did a couple of hours ago. Thanks, Chris. So some positivity for Newcastle and the same for Dortmund too, who now top the group. Our German football writer Seb Staffer-Bloor joins us now. Seb, as far as reactions to a derby defeat go, that looked pretty good from Dortmund. It really did, Michael, because they took an awful lot of criticism on Saturday night. I think Leon Goretzka was asked after the game what he thought of it, and he said that they had, quote, flattened Dortmund. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. It was a very dispiriting loss. They got completely outplayed in their own pitch. So this was a tremendous performance in response. Full of discipline, full of heart, full of emotion, all the good things about Dortmund, but just uh, really mature as well. And um, uh, what a great way to, to get Saturday night out of their system. I thought Ulian Brandt was excellent, but perhaps the more eye-catching performance was from former Manchester United loan midfielder Marcel Sabitzer. Yes, it was really noteworthy. He obviously played really well last night, but... The story of Marcel Sabitzer's season has not been a good one. He has really struggled to have any sort of impact. Obviously, when he was at his best in the Bundesliga during his time at RB Leipzig, he was a really thrusting number eight sort that was a, you know, an attacking presence, creative threat, all those kind of things. Has not been that at, at Dortmund since he returned to the Bundesliga from Manchester United. Had a difficult old time at Bayern Munich too. This was by far his best performance in a Dortmund shirt. And I felt as if we saw the full rainbow of Sabitzer's abilities. So it'll be really, really heartening for Edin Terzic, the head coach too, because I think that his midfield has been subject to so much scrutiny and criticism. This suggests that actually he does have interesting components, players that he can depend upon to kind of to cover the space left by Jude Bellingham. Sabitzer was great and it was a really important night for him as well because a big stage. This wasn't him playing well against Heidenheim or Darmstadt. This was against a really, really tough, resilient Newcastle team and he was amongst the best players on the pitch. Thanks, Seb. And for more on what's been going on at Borussia Dortmund, make sure you give The Athletic Football Podcast a listen when it's out later today. You'll find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. You're listening to The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. The Champions League action continues tonight with the remaining four groups. Bayern Munich and Real Madrid are the teams that can secure their knockout place. Bayern host Galatasaray, while Real are at home to Braga. Arsenal can strengthen their place at the top of Group B when they welcome Sevilla to the Emirates Stadium. And it's a big night for Manchester United striker Rasmus Hoyland. He returns to his former club Copenhagen with his current team in desperate need of a Champions League victory. Senior writer Oli Kay has written on The Athletic about the streaky form, big moves and huge expectations placed on the likes of Hoyland and Chelsea forward Nicholas Jackson. And I'm delighted to say that Oli joins us now. Oli... Is it fair to say Hoyland has been one of United's bright spots so far in the Champions League? Well, in the Champions League, certainly. I mean, he scored that, that goal um, against Bayern Munich as they were trying to launch a fight back in, in the Allianz Arena. Then scored the two goals against Galatasaray at Old Trafford in a game that they somehow ultimately lost. So, yes, he has looked bright in the Champions League and has looked a real threat. But the strange thing is, the contradiction almost, is that he's yet to score in eight Premier League games. And often we would criticise a player for that. They haven't hit the ground running in the Premier League. And I've actually really felt sorry for him because I think he's I think he's looked really sharp and yet raw. I think that rawness is, is obvious, but I think he is at least, when you look at Manchester United's attacking players, he's the one who's really trying to bring something to the party the whole time, whereas others are really underperforming. I think that's having a bit of an impact on, on him. I think he's been a victim of that. He arrived with a lot of expectation 
obviously, at Old Trafford. What what are your expectations of him from here? I expect the goals will start to flow. I mean, he's such a young player. He's he's twenty. He was just over a year ago. He was at Sturm Graz, and, he, and then he's moved to At- Atlanta and scored nine goals in Serie A last season. It's not a huge body of work on which to make somebody your big money centre forward at Manchester United. It's it's a remarkable rise, really. And I think people have got to be realistic with him and patient with him. And if they are, I think he will score goals. It's difficult for him that there's a young, blonde Scandinavian just across town who's making goal scoring look incredibly easy. But that is in a team which, I mean, look, A, a he's a, a freak, Erling Haaland. But B, that is in a team where where they create chances all the time. Manchester United are not creating chances. They're not picking out his excellent runs when they, when he makes them. It feels like quite a unfair comparison to make. So I think with Hoyland, with Nicholas Jackson at Chelsea, even with Darwin Nunez at Liverpool, there's got to be patience because these guys have not been signed as the finished article by any means. And this is the difficult thing, I suppose, for Hoyland and, and these strikers is that if that opportunity comes to join a club like that, you, you don't really turn it down, do you? Even if you're not ready for it? Yeah, it would be an incredible career move for a guy at Atalanta to say, no, do you know what? I think I might I might bide my time. I might take another year here. People just don't do that. It's an incredible opportunity for him. It's an incredible amount of money for another thing. But it just doesn't look like a very easy gig playing centre-forward for Manchester United at the moment. I don't think it has done for 10 years. But right now, it looks difficult for for anybody, never mind a, a 20-year-old who still sort of trying to find his feet in in European football, never mind in the Premier League, never mind at Manchester United. So... I'd say people have to be patient with him. He will score goals, just not necessarily at the same volume as uh, the guy across town. Thanks, Ollie. You can watch all of tonight's Champions League action on TNT Sports in the UK and Paramount Plus in the US. And that's it for today's briefing. Thank you for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Mike Zimmerman and Abby Patterson and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. I'll be back with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.